Welcome to Mayo Clinic Educator Central, brought to you by the Learning Solutions Center at Mayo Clinic. I'm Stacy Kraft, an assistant professor of medical education and senior instructional designer at Mayo Clinic. I'm excited to announce that we begin part one of our special limited series, Co-Occurrence. We have all obviously been hearing a lot about artificial intelligence and, in particular interest to this podcast, its intersection with the education, science, and development professions. In this series, we are going to focus on conversations exploring AI and related technologies and their possible, probable, and actual impacts on education. From discussions around what we know, what we hope for, and what is happening concretely today, I hope this series can give you quality food for thought, so to speak, as well as a few actionable takeaways here and there. In the first episode, we have two very special guests, Dr. Alberto Mazzoli, a cardioanesthesiologist working in general and trauma intensive care and in pre-hospital emergency care at Magori Hospital in Italy, and Dr. Federico Semerato, a consultant in anesthesia and intensive care with Magori Hospital as well. They co-authored a fascinating piece called Enhancing Cardiac Arrest Education, Exploring the Potential Use of Mid-Journey, along with Dr. Lorenzo Gamarini, which I will share in the podcast notes. Both have long-held interest and dedication to medical education, and in this episode, we get to discuss how they have used AI in medical education, specifically focusing on generative visual applications and these applications' potential uses and considerations, limitations, and the future. Enjoy the first episode of our limited series, Co-Occurrence. So welcome. Hi. Hi. Good morning. To get started, I'd love if one of you could share, for those who are not familiar, what is generative AI, like in a visual sense? Uh, artificial intelligence, uh, aka AI, is a broad field encompassing subsets like machine learning. And machine learning itself involves software that learns from data and improves performance without human intervention. interventions. Generative AI is a branch of ML, of machine learning and focuses on creating visual, textual, and audio and video content autonomously and producing realistic and creative outputs like images, videos, as I said before. And this field is the one we would like to explore further for medical education, of course. What inspired you? What was your impetus for beginning to think about leveraging yeah, this okay. kind of technology in education? Recently, I started using uh, uh, MidJourney, which is a software of generative AI, to create illustrations for a book of riddles I'm writing for my kids. And then uh, I knew Federico had been using the, this program too. And so I asked myself, what if we could use this brand new magic wand to, to enhance cardiac arrest uh, uh, training, which is our one of our field of interest. And so you started to use it in cardiac education. Is that what I'm, I'm hearing? And how did that look? What was the process? How did you get started in that? Through our journey, we always uh, been fascinated by the, the potential of technology and engaging interplay between different areas of expertise. Generative uh, AI visual application uh, hold immense uh, potential to transform uh, learning experience uh, for both learner and healthcare professionals. Uh, one of the, the significant advantages of uh, AI is to, is the ability to uh, visualize uh, complex concepts in a fast and cost-effective manner. 
for instance, uh, the intricate system of human body, for example, by utilize, uh, utilizing the power of AI, healthcare professional can access highly realistic simulation to refine their skills in both pre-hospital and in hospital emergencies. Uh, they can use artificial intelligence to create virtual patients and perform a specific procedure numerous times before intervening in a, on a real patient. Mm -hmm. uh, additionally, AI can generate various scenarios that a care professional may encounter, providing them with uh, valuable opportunities to prepare and improve their expertise. Now, some medical educators have used other visualization tools like photogrammetry to do similar work. What are the benefits of using AI? Photogrammetry is very heavy and expensive uh, technique. Artificial intelligence that generate for you thousands of thousands of multiple uh, scenarios or uh, environment, this could be potentially very cheaper in comparison to the standard of development of virtual reality environment and characters, and so, for example. So we heard a lot about its potential. Can you tell us about a bit of what your actual experiences are with some examples of how you have used it? So over the past 15 years, uh, we have actively collaborated with game developer to create serious game for cardiac arrest training. Uh, mm -hmm. Our effort have uh, also led us to collaborate with developers in crafting engaging story for kindergarten uh, children with, with the aim of raising awareness and teaching them how to intervene in, in the event of cardiac arrest despite their young age. We have developed a virtual reality environment for training school children in a cardiac arrest scenario as a part of our local Kids Save Life campaign in Bologna. Mm -hmm. To create this environment, we employ a photogrammetry. It's very complex technique that involves uh, reconstructing a real-life environment uh, using millions of photographs and specialized software. Mm. This could be a very nice, uh, uh, engaging experience for the future. So you're kind of, you're talking about pairing AI or generative AI with your real photographs, real data that you guys are creating. Do you also use AI to come up with the ideas of the scenarios or is it just generating the environments that the scenarios you produced are being played out in? At the moment, we, we use a traditional techniques, uh, but uh, we will uh, seeking uh, something to merge the two area of uh, research. Absolutely. Because this could be potentially very flexible, cheaper, and also tailored with learner-driven and educator-driven, for example. What do you think some of the limitations of this technology are? Uh, honestly, at, at the moment, we um, there are several limitations to use uh, mid-journey mm -hmm. to produce uh, educational content. And this is due to two main conditions, two main problems. One is uh, bent terms. So there's a huge list of terms you cannot type in to, in the prompt, okay? So you cannot produce uh, violent content. And this policy is commendable, of course. The other problem is uh, the training. So AI needs to be trained, like, like a school kid, like a pupil. And, and if you don't train, the AI, the AI won't produce uh, educational content, medical educational content. So, if we, if you are, we will be able to use that in a proper way. I think we will be able, of course, to enhance 
medical education in general. We Our field is emergency medicine, intensive care, of course, which is a quite complex field and with very complex scenarios, you must pay attention to a wide range of stuff. And r- right now, at the moment, we, we cannot do more much about this because everything is a closed system. Uh, right now, there are some uh, racial issues because sometimes mm-hmm. the output uh, of, of mid-journey is like a white maze, usually. Uh, also, if you ask for a sad person, probably generate a, a female crying, for example. Mm. So he has also gender bias. Right. And I was going to say, so there's a lot of bias also. I mean, there's you don't know where it's getting its information. There's censorship yeah. in it. There's bias that's built into it. So I imagine these are all barriers to yeah. producing quality content. Yes, AI needs a data set, what uh, someone calls the data sphere. Right. So it's a huge amount of data. In this, in this case, of course, pictures. Uh, the AI can digest only the material he has. And so we have a lot of issue about that because it's, uh, it has a lot of limitation, but we can overcome this issue. Wow. How do you think we could overcome some of this? Well, in, in the future, we envision the establishment of certified accounts linked to renowned public institutions, such as, mm-hmm. for example, Mayo Clinic or scientific societies. Sure. And these certified users would enjoy greater flexibility in the use of terminology, of course, mm-hmm. while bearing full responsibility for the content they generate, of course, and this content could be employed for medical education and uh, scientific publication. So what you are proposing is a separate isolated data set that is reviewed by trusted medical professionals? For example, Stacy, the position of the end during chest compression. We try desperately several times to give Midjourney some prompt to say, okay, put your end in chest compression position at, with a correct technique. And obviously it was not able to build a very nice image of this. So uh, yes, like, something like a special room for certification uh, and certificated people to, to check the content uh, as suggested by Carlo Alberto, yes. And then specialized users seeking access would undergo uh, training tailored to address the diverse need of the scientific community across, as I said before, various fields. To train AI, we can create a restricted database of uh, medical content, Hmm. housing real clinical cases. So I took a picture of a case uh, two weeks ago. Then I put it into the database and the AI can digest and elaborate and and accurate the scientific illustration for algorithmic assessment. If it's feeding off of real case studies, would would we imagine in this future world, maybe it could generate new ones for us on the fly? Could be possible, but the accuracy, I think it's, the route to grow uh, the medical education. So a student should see what is the right way to do something. You know, the AI generative technologies like ChatGPT, I've heard that it can make up results called hallucinations if it doesn't have enough data. ChatGPT is not able to say, well, I don't know. It tried to guess something. And so if you rely too much on on this tool, you are led to, to believe that he's 
telling the truth, right? Right. Yeah. Very interesting. Quite so, risky. Yeah, it is risky. <laughs> we talked about some of the evolutions that you think need to happen to make it, you know, valuable. What do you envision as the future of using this application in medical education? Uh, the future of using generative uh, artificial intelligence in medical education is uh, immensely promising and could uh, revolutionize uh, the way we train healthcare professional uh, by simulating a variety of patient condition, treatment scenarios in controlled uh, environment. We could prepare students uh, uh, for a wide range of situations in way that textbooks and traditional methods like isolated simulation cannot achieve mm-hmm. by using AI that we, we could generate visual and scenarios based on the skill level and non-technical skill learning style and progress of each student resulting in a personalized, tailored learning experience. Moreover, uh, AI can assist in creating a diverse and uh, realistic uh, patient scenario, but also in in diversity, in cultural background, uh, age. So if you use virtual reality, you can add a sense of presence, very immersive, and the AI can react in a quite similar real way to the interaction with the students. So obviously this will be the future in the, I can imagine five years. I think from the educator perspective could start by incorporating an existing tool and platform that leverage AI and offering visual content, adaptive learning and data analysis capability. And this will uh, enable students to benefit from, yes, tailored learning experience and interactive visualization. Uh, and it's important, obviously, for educators and institution to stay informed and updated about uh, the last development of this kind of new geek generative uh, AI things uh, and explore opportunities to integrate new technology into the curriculum in a blended way. So and I was going to ask this, like, how do you imagine this being delivered? But are we imagining like the goggles with like you're immersed inside the environment, not a computer where you're just looking at screens? What are you thinking? A full immersive environment. Uh, you can replace and uh, run every scenarios as a training. If you remember a very old, uh, nice fashion uh, TV series, Star Trek. Mm-hmm. In Star Trek, there was uh, an environment uh, called Holodeck. I-, I am a believer, so I have a conflict of interest in this, with virtual reality, augmented reality, with interaction with uh, an artificial intelligence, a, a-, a good in- a- artificial intelligence, not like a Terminator or I robot, uh, <laughs> can interact with a student, can interact like a virtual educator, in parallel with a real educator outside the box that uh, look uh, at the holodeck like uh, the master of Jedi of the of the scenario, something like that. You're talking about a very integrated experience with a lot of different functions from coming from the AI in this sort of future state. We're thinking, yeah, it's going to maybe generate visuals, but also it's going to, you know, understand how well the student is doing and, and present them challenges based on how they're doing, the adaptive. But it might be their personal coach, right? It might be give, feeding them feedback and giving them learning moments. Um, but that takes a lot of, like you mentioned, it's got to take a lot of resources on the data sphere, right? 
to feed it the correct information and also the context for that. Stacy, 20 years ago, I started to work on virtual reality. I that set at that time cost around um, $2,000, $3,000. Now, uh, an headset costs $200. Mm-hmm. So in terms of cost, implementation, uh, engine, and obviously all the geek things uh, in, in the back end to produce all these things, uh, we are close to this scenario. I'm trying to imagine what is the benefit of using AI over virtual reality? I'm wondering why is what you're proposing that much better? <laughs> because humans commonly always do things that you not planned. So you can create a nice scenario, a nice script uh, with the several pathways, several options, chest compression, cardiac arrest, intubation, but commonly always happen that humans do something completely crazy. So an artificial intelligence can react very fast and in a very, I can say, real way to the action of the candidate of the learner. So this could be potentially uh, driven by a real one, real mm-hmm. uh, educator, but could be also in some way driven by a very sophisticated artificial intelligence educator, I can say. So almost like the AI can react to an element of chaos that the pre-programmed stuff can't, is what we're hoping. Yeah. Should be so. Yeah, well, yeah very should interesting. Should be able to. We hope, we hope, right? We hope, yeah. <laughs> right, but hope. as you said before, the data sphere is fundamental because data sets are, are like ingredients. You you can probably bake a good apple pie without apples. Maybe it tastes like apple pie, but it's a mock. It's not an apple pie, <laughs> okay? So we have to feed with good material, good, good ingredients, the AI. And one thing, I think one benefit is... Um, it's cheap, so it's probably uh, could, could enhance the education also in, for example, developing countries. So where maybe books and uh, uh, videos are, are not so easy to buy. So it's quite affordable also for university with less resources, of course. And I think it could be a good point. So we talked. we're talking a lot about what we hope it'll do in the future or what we think it might evolve to how about the way it is now can anything be done with it now or is it more just an analysis phase where we're looking at it testing it and finding out this isn't work and we need to do more so can it be integrated as is in a curriculum in any place especially the visual because i think you guys talked a lot about that but i'm interested in any of your thoughts on on all the different types of ai the visuals are used for uh, for educational for medical education in the U.S. since the 80s. So is nothing very new. And uh, right now, a lot of uh, medical classes uh, also here in Italy uh, use uh, visual thinking strategy, for example. Of course, it's uh, less, less complex than creating VR environment. You can also use and can simply create a picture and uh, just let the, 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 the kids, for example, look, stare at the picture and describe it to enhance the learning. And it's something old, it's nothing new. What's new is the tool. It, it, it's a new cycle because we talk about AI also like 10 years ago. 
and then there was not more, so much hype on it. And then again, also the pandemic had a role in that because people are now much more used to stay at home and to interact with computers. So probably there's a general feeling that uh, the human presence is not so uh, mandatory, so fundamental. I don't know. And of course, uh, in parallel, there are technologies developing uh, quite, quite quickly. What about ethical considerations, all the worries about privacy and consent? And I mean, this has already come up with non-medical world, right? Consent for not only about people, but their work, the work that they do being used as a blueprint or pattern or, or data point to help the AI produce its output. We think that we are using them responsibly. Good question. The answer probably is who knows <laughs> okay so from, from an ethical standpoint we must consider how these tools are being used of course so who has access to them first so certificated uh, users and are they being used to improve patient outcomes or just not for fun but for the show for publication and for each index now and for research purposes, this is a good way to use it and to train like people in saving life in the middle of the street, of course, is another good, uh, good option. So we must ensure that the benefits of these tools are accessible and to all and do not widen the gap uh, between those who have access and, uh, and those who have not. I think we could overcome this by training the AI. Of course, we cannot change the society all by ourselves, but we can train to be polite and uh, the AI. I think it goes back to you're saying that if it's a, a closed data sphere of vetted information that where we decide that we are going to be conscientious about bias and we're going to try to feed it data that is representative of the values we want to hold about diversity and inclusion and, and equity, then perhaps it won't have bias unless there's some that we didn't realize we had when we were feeding it. But if we're trying, you know, to do our very best, we can help reduce that by being, I guess, self-aware about what we're including in that data sphere? It's a good question. I, the data sphere is nothing you can touch and uh, is, is nothing you can control. Of, of course, I guess that, for example, a huge part of the data sphere could be all the uh, stuff related to social networks, for example. Mm -hmm. So if, or newspapers, and maybe you, you can say, well, Maybe the, the uh, small subset of the data sphere related to healthcare uh, is not biased by the, the whole set. But you know that also during the, the pandemic, we had a lot of uh, like creepy yeah. content, uh, great conspiracy <laughs> theories, and so, okay, so chemtrails <laughs> and so and so on. And, Probably with some key terms in their metadata have some key terms, they can uh, uh, invade the medical data sphere. And this is what uh, what we, we said before, so hallucination. Maybe you you can you can believe that the output is truth even if it's not. Okay. So looking to the future, probably we believe we need to invest in a, a robust uh, ethical framework and governance for, for the use of these tools. Uh, this should include uh, interdisciplinary collaboration mm -hmm. between uh, tech developer, healthcare provider, educator, ethicist, uh, and patients uh, themselves, probably. 
only through ongoing uh, dialogue and collaboration can we ensure that these powerful tools are used uh, in an ethical way. Right and now, a lot of, of AI softwares rely on a technology called GAN, which stands for Generative Adversarial Network. So you basically have two parts on this software. Is One is the generator, mm-hmm. and of course, generates the content. And the other part is the discriminator. So if I ask for a blue balloon, then the generator uh, can create a red balloon. The discriminator say, no, it's not blue balloon. It's a red one. So he can erase the content. And the discriminator is the one you can train with the data set. And discriminator, it's a term that, well, let me think to, uh, to a person, to some, someone human, but it's not, it's, it's a computer. So the, con- the controlled person and the controller person is the same, is the computer itself. So it's quite strange. There's uh, also the bioethical field as now a proper branch about AI in medicine and biology. I don't know if it's if, who can control. You can control what, what you give, the, the food you give to the AI. I think it's the only way right now. You know, I was just listening to a news article the other day where they were interviewing visual artists, a, a painter who had signed up for a website. It's a community of uh, artists. It's been around a long time. And, and they used to just kind of post their images, share their art, talk about their art. It's been around a long time. Now this company is offering a paid service for people who want to create their own custom art using a generative AI kind of thing. And what it's doing is it's pulling all of the people who built their community to do that. People will type in, you know, this, this, and this in the style of, and then they'll put her name. And so then they just get some piece of art in a couple seconds and they say, oh, it saves times and resources, but also we're eliminating this beautiful human artistry. So I don't know, how do we protect people who are generating the content that is teaching the AI how to generate content? I don't know if it's if, who can control. You can control what, what you give the the food you give to the AI, I think it's the only way right now. But I think what I'm saying is I think in the instance of like these artists, they didn't control it. We need some kind of guardrails, right? We need regu- we need people to come together and figure out what's appropriate. But AI is not going to wait. Companies aren't going to wait for <laughs> those regulations. They're going to get ahead of them. I'm a little bit worried uh, in respecting, for example, the uploading of people through photos uh, uh, if you think about our child, uh, there, there is at the moment uh, on, on the on the social media a spot from uh, a company that uh, say if you put the photo of your kids on the social media, somebody can steal in a deep fake uh, rebuild, uh, and this could be a problem for the digital reputation of the future of our kids. So I'm a little bit mm-hmm. worried about this. There are no a real framework that protect uh, our future, you know. Mm-hmm. Uh, so probably we can't block the, the world, but probably in, uh, in the respect of diversity, in the respect of patient, in the respect of others outside this world, uh, 
we need to build a, a very nice collaboration with ethicists and uh, to avoid uh, uh, the dark side of the moon of this very powerful tool. All right. Well, thank you so much. It was wonderful meeting thank you. Bye-bye. Thank you. Bye. Bye-bye. If you have any ideas for topics, would like to be a guest, or want to reach out to us, send us an email at edufi at mayo.edu.